Okay, it's Sunday morning, and we're ready to roll. And as long as we have, as long as we have time, we have time till nine fifty. We have been talking about the first nine steps of the program of Overeaters Anonymous, and we have been talking about what this is and what this is not. And I'm very, very clear on this that this is something that is information that helped save my life. And I think it's so important that it's worth repeating. And this is information that may help someone else, but I know that it'll help me to hear it again. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it. Number one, food for the compulsive overeater is never the problem. Food is the solution to the problem. Dr. Silkworth, our great medical benefactor, the little doctor who loved drunks. He pointed out to me and us in his doctor's opinion that this is an issue of the mind and an issue of the body. He called the physical factor the allergy of the body, the phenomenon of craving. My problem is not food. Food is my solution to the problem. The problem is the buildup of everyday, normal, human emotion. Now, all human beings have emotions. All human beings have happiness and sadness and jealousy and rage, and we have regret, and we have all kinds of emotions going on at the same time sometimes, but one will pop to the surface. And in a normal human being, a normal eater, non-addicted person, not addicted to anything, they can dissipate these emotions through normal, simple, mundane tactics. They can go drive out a bucket of balls, go to the gym, drink a glass of wine, make love, play with the dog, play with the cat. They can do these things and their, their emotions will just settle down and they're fine. Those emotions in me as an addicted person, as a crazy person, will pinball around at an amazingly fast rate, an amazing rate. And when those emotions will pinball, what will happen is it will wake up the mental twist and the mental twist will rise out of the emotional side of the brain and call me to a solution to the intense, searing, unrelenting, debilitating pain of not eating. Not eating feels horrible. And when I was a little kid, people would say to me, Harlan Grabowski, don't eat so much, you'll feel better. Man, they were right. When I don't eat so much, I feel anger better, I feel fear better, I feel like killing myself better, I feel crushes on girls better, I feel jealousy better, I feel lots of things much, much better because the non-addicted person doesn't understand that for people like me, while I'm eating chocolate turtles, I feel great. Because they're judging me by them that when they overeat, they feel terrible. And when they don't overeat, they feel great. When I'm not eating, I feel terrible because I feel lots and lots of pain, lots and lots of anxiety, and I feel anger and regret. And I feel all these things to a degree where I cannot take the pain any longer. And so my mental twist says to me, eat an Oreo. 
Now, the intelligence side of the brain says, don't you, Harlan Grabowski, don't you dare eat an Oreo cookie. You want to look good. You want to feel good. You want to look good for the wedding or the bar mitzvah or the whatever. And the emotional side of the brain says, don't listen to that idiot. And what happens is the mental twist will call up its assistant. And the assistant is the mental blank spot. And the mental blank spot is the built-in forgetter. And the forgetter will prevent me from remembering what the food does to me and will only allow me to focus in on what the food will do for me. Because food does something for me that it does not do for the normal temperate eater. Food, not all food, not broccoli, not, you know, hard-boiled eggs, not, you know, uh, uh, mushrooms or, or raw, you know, carrots or spinach. Um, my dog loves carrots. Oh, my dog loves carrots. The, bi- the big the best puppy chew toy in the world is a carrot. And they're natural, too. You, know, you have to eat the leather. But anyway, I digress. Where am I? What am I doing? Oh, right. I'm back at the big book study. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay. Not all food, but what my, my mental twist will say is eat the chocolate turtle, eat the Kit Kat bar, eat the Suzy Q, eat that Twinkie, because there is something in that Twinkie that is going to do something for me, and it's going to give me that effect that Dr. Silkworth talks about. The effect is the sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating that food, and the world for about nine seconds goes away. The girl I have the crush on, she's going to be mine. The bank account, which is totally inadequate, is going to swell and grow, and I'm not going to have to do anything about it. I'm going to be the left fielder for the Cubs and bat forth. (laughs) I'm just going to be floating on air, and for about nine seconds, that seems like reality, doesn't it? Because when we eat that food, it really does work. That's what Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. And no matter how far along I am in the program, I can never get away from Dr. Silkworth's opinion, can I? Because he's so right. And everything he says is so foundational to reality. Because the, uh, the depth at which I will accept Dr. Silkworth's opinion will mark the urgency with which I will work the rest of the 11 steps. Right? So I feel fantastic. But after about nine seconds after I eat a Kit Kat bar, something horrible happens. The pall of remorse and the pall of the horrible pain comes back because I'm looking at what I'm doing and I'm disgusted. But by then something else has happened. A trap has been set and I have been caught in the trap once again because nine seconds after I begin eating chocolate cake, the physical allergy has me in its grip. The physical allergy, what is that allergy? Allergy is an adverse abnormal reaction to a food, beverage, or substance. Adverse means it's harmful. Abnormal means most people don't react like I do. When most people eat chocolate ice cream, they get all the chocolate ice cream every time they sit down to eat ice cream. And the more ice cream they eat, the less they want more. Isn't that weird? That the more they eat, the less they want. 
what's with these people? And they're the people you just want to kill. You know, they're the people that when it's Fred's birthday, they have a piece of, a piece of pie sent to the table with five spoons and everybody digs in for a little pie and everybody has enough pie because it's too rich. It's too sweet. Boom, 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 boom. So you just want to kill them, you know? And at the end of the five people eating a little pie, there's pie left. Where do these people come? What planet are these people from? What the hell? Where are they from? So the physical allergy now has me in its grip and I can no longer stop eating ice cream. And the more I eat, the more I want, the more I want, the more I eat, the more I eat, the more I want. And it's just, it's just endless. There's no end to it. The only time I ever ate one cookie was when it was the last cookie I could get my hands on. That's the only time I ever ate one cookie. Now, it begs the question, what if I could find a way to live where my mind does not lock in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating a cookie? What if I could find a way to live where I already feel better? What if I could find a way to live where it isn't necessary for my mind to shove me against my will, dragging me by the hair into the arms of a Kit Kat bar, because I already feel a sense of ease and comfort. And the, the method that we're going to use to bring a higher power into this equation is simply called recovery. And that's what this is all about, Charlie Brown. This is about substituting the effect of a chocolate turtle, which is very, very orgasmic, I must say, for the effect of the spiritual awakening as the result of working the steps. One has a moment of pleasure that we keep seeking at our own detriment. Doesn't Dr. Silkworth tell us, although we admit it's injurious, we cannot tell the truth from the false? We know we're killing ourselves. We know we're just going to get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter, but we can't stop the hand from, from shoveling it into our mouth, can we? One gives a lifetime of deep-seated, pure happiness and fulfillment beyond our wildest dreams. One gives us isolation. One gives us people and dreams to dream and things to do and a purposefulness to our life under heaven. One gives us no service for anyone. One gives us maximum service to God and the people about us. That's why we're born. Page 77 at the top of the page says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And that is an Oxford, that's from the Oxford group. Page 77 tells me why I was born. I am here to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. I can't be of maximum service to anyone with a stomach full of Doritos or chocolate cake. I cannot be any service to anyone. I am totally involved with me. Me, 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 me. 
I cannot see the forest through the trees when I'm in the food because the only thing I can think of is, how am I going to get more? How am I going to get more? How am I going to get more? So the spiritual awakening as the result of the steps is the most magical way for me to live. I don't know how it is for you. I'm going to only speak about me and my experience. It is the most wonderful life imaginable. I'm 63 years old, and in some ways, I'm 9, I'm 10, I'm 11. I've never been this fulfilled in my life. Never, never have I been this fulfilled in my life. I never have a point in my life where I'm not going somewhere to do Big Book. I'm going to Oceanside in July. I'm going in September to Seattle. I'm going in September to Newark, New Jersey. I'm going in November to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I probably need a team of psychiatrists. Why am I going to Minneapolis, Minnesota in November? I probably need a squadron of psychiatrists, but I just, there's this one lady up there that I just love very much, and I've done a lot of stuff for her up there and things like that, and I just couldn't turn her down, so she says, please come, we'll keep you indoors the entire time, I promise, I said, okay, I'll come. I'll come, and that'll be my last one for the, oh, I do a San Diego one-day one thing. I do a San Diego thing at the Oasis in December, always before the holidays. But anyway, there's always something on my docket. What a great way to live. So we have this situation where the only solution is going to be a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And to illustrate that food is not the problem, I can prove it to you just in a few seconds. See, if food was the problem, treatment centers would turn out winners, and they don't. If, if food was the problem, hospitals would turn out winners, and they don't. If food was the problem, diets would work, and they don't. If food was the problem, jails would turn out winners, and they don't. Bariatric surgery would turn out winners, and they don't. See? If you really think about that, if food was the problem, those things would work. If those things worked, I'd lock you in this room for 30 days or 100 days or whatever it is, and I would throw abstinent food through a slot down the thing, and then in about 100 days, I'd come take you out and you'd be cured, right? That would be a magical thing, but that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work, see? So the bottom line is we have to have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. A lot of times when I sponsor people, I take the first step and I just change it a little bit. I say, I'm powerless over my emotions and my food is unmanageable. I'm powerless over my emotions and my food is unmanageable because it's like the fireman. The food is throwing in chocolate turtles to try to put out the fire of this emotional bonfire, this emotional uh, plague that has come upon my life. So let's get to the business at hand and let's take a look at step 10, 11, and 12 this morning. Misnomenclature is that they're the maintenance steps. They're not, we're not maintaining anything. Our purpose here is to grow in understanding and to expand our spiritual life because when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to recovery, there is no sitting still. The only way I can coast is downhill. If I'm going to grow and I'm going to expand my spiritual life, I'm going to have to do more and more, not the same or less. I can't do the same or less and continue to recover. That's a sobering thought. Whatever I was doing a year ago isn't going to keep me 
abstinent today. I must continue to grow. More service. More service. Sometimes I get tired. I, I complain sometimes because I am human. I get tired of running around the country on airplanes and in airports. and I get tired. But then I remember that my real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. Sitting at home alone with a pizza and chocolate cake is not being of maximum service to anyone. Anyone. Let's take a look at page 84 in the big book of AA. Page 84. It's going to say on page 84, if I can ever get the page up here, this thought brings us to step 10. See, I knew it did, unless somebody changed it. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Now, the word continue is used twice in that little sentence there because we're going to keep going. I'm going to tell you a story of Naomi B., who I love dearly, and she wouldn't mind me telling you this story because I've cleared it with her. A number of years ago, I did a retreat in southern New Jersey, right near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, they, they picked me up and they brought me in. And one of the first people I meet was this Naomi, Naomi B., my friend. I'm going to see her in Newark. And at the lunch break on Saturday at this retreat, she comes up to me and she says, can I call you when I'm done with the steps? And I said, no. And she looked at me as if I had turned orange or green and said, why? And I said, Hun, when you're done with the steps, you're going to be dead because we never stop. You see, here's, here's a phone call that I probably get 150 times a year, three, three times a week, four times a week. I worked the steps, but I'm still eating, and I was in OA for 12 years, and I'm eating. What can I do? And I say, well, you've got to work the steps. Oh, I already did that. No, no, no. If you already did, sweetie, we wouldn't be having this conversation because it should continue, continue, continue for our lifetime. We're never done working the steps until we're dead. I have a nightmare that goes on in my, um, in my head. And the nightmare is this. Yeah, I love Bill Wilson. He's my hero. Bill Wilson is my hero. And Bill was very human. He did a lot of very human things and he... Certainly had a lot of girlfriends, and you know, we all know the stories of some of that, and he experimented with LSD, but he's my hero. But on his deathbed, he was actually calling for whiskey. See, he was calling for liquor on his deathbed. And I don't want to go to God in the filth of this food. I don't want to go to God scummy, dirty, filthy from the food. I want to go to God clean as a whistle. I want to go to God and have him extend his hand out to me and say, welcome to Israel, job well done. Job well done. You did a good job. You started off kind of rocky there, Harlan, but you did a good job. Okay, I don't want to go to God in the filth of the food. I don't want to be calling for Susie Q's on my deathbed. It says here, we vigorously commenced... Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you, and set right any new mistakes that we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. I'm going to... Oh, Millie's here. We got to bone up our act here. Mill's here. Love you, Mill. 
You're my favorite person here, babe. You know that. Yeah, it is true. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Love you, Millie. Okay, anyway. Um, yes, it's on tape for posterity. That's Mill from San Diego. Okay. It says here, we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Let's clean up one of the myths about this, this step. One of the myths about this step is we do step 10 after we do step 9. Absolutely not true. We do step 10 the minute we begin step 9 because we use 8 and 9 to clean up the past. And 8 should take about 5 minutes because you've got the list of people you've harmed on your fourth step. If there's any people you need to add on there, this should be a very, very quick process. So the first myth that we're going to smash today in step 10 is that this is something that waits till you're done with 9. Eh, wrong. Thanks for playing. You come, because what's going to happen when you start doing step nines, you're going to bring up fear. You're going to bring up jealousy. You're going to bring up anger. You're going to bring up regret. You're going to bring up all these emotions. And what are these emotions going to make you do? Eat the food. So you must start doing 10s and 11s as you clean up the past. Okay, let's take it from there. We have entered the world of the spirit, and spirit is in capital letters. Spirit is in capital letters. If I had the time, I would take you all the way back through the big book to the preface to the first edition and show you how this continues on through the book for that line. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness, understanding and effectiveness. How am I going to grow in understanding and effectiveness? I'm going to A, stay out of the food. B, I need to continue to have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And as part of that awakening, I'm going to be working with other people. And when I work with other people, if they get any percentage of what I get out of it, they're getting a lot. Because when I work with other people, it brings me closer to God and further away from a chocolate turtle. And the, anything that will get me closer to God and further away from a Kit Kat bar is worth examining. Because in program, there is no standing still. I am either moving toward God or I am moving toward chocolate-covered turtles. And there is no middle ground. There is no maintenance. There is no staying the same. You coast, you go downhill. You cannot stay the same. I cannot stay clean on yesterday's shower. I must do this work every single day. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. How much clearer could they be? The word continue continues to continue on through the continuation of the paragraph. Okay? So how much clearer can they be? And this is something that comes right out of the Oxford group movement into AA and into OA. This cleaning up the past and doing all this stuff. We have entered the... Uh, continue, here's that word again, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What step did we use to deal with selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear? We use step four. Very good. We use step four. When these things crop up, not if, 
when these things crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. What two steps did we use to ask God to remove our defects? Six and seven. So in this little, little half, little paragraph here, we've done four, six, and seven. We discuss them with someone immediately. Step five. Now, what myth are we going to smash there? That this is something that is done in the morning and at night. That's 11. And somehow, some way in the OA literature, it suggests that this is something that we do at night and in the, and in the morning. That is not the case. Step 10 is an as-needed prescription. However many step 10s you need to do, that's what you do. I do 5 to 7 to 10 of them a day. I've got a rough life. People piss me off all the time. People are just pissing me off all. They're just not sticking to my damn script. So I've got to do 10 steps. My sponsor lives in Los Angeles, and I drive him crazy. I tell him all the time, John is his name, John K. And I tell him all the time, you got the toughest job in OA, John. you got to put up with my BS, and you got to do this. We discuss them with someone immediately. There's no writing there. You pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Or if it's a person that you can discuss it face-to-face, do that. Do that. That's fine. Okay. And that's step five. So we've done four, five, six, and seven, haven't we? And make amends quickly, not tomorrow, not a month from now, not a year from now, quickly. If we've harmed anyone, what two steps do we use for amends? Eight and nine. So we've done four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in just a little subparagraph here. Then we resolutely, resolutely means with purpose, Turn our thoughts and action to someone we can help. Step 12. Very good. Okay. Step 12. So we've done 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 in this little half paragraph. I dare you to do 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 12, 5, 6, 10 times a day and eat potato chips. You cannot do it. Unless you are totally psychotic delusional, where you want to kill yourself, where you absolutely have a death wish, you cannot eat potato chips doing, taking this action because you won't want to. Don't you understand that this is about the, the difference between dieting with group support, which is what you see so much of in OA, and a true spiritual awakening where the food just doesn't call you. I am not sitting here fighting food. I am not sitting here. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this. This is the I'm going to teach you a Yiddish word. This is the emes. The emes is the truth from the soul. I am not sitting here obsessed with what I'm going to eat today or anything like that. Whatever comes, comes. I had a discussion. I went to dinner last night and I we had a discussion. I wanted to go to a particular cuisine. If this other person would have said, I don't want to go to that. Okay, fine. Whatever it is, it's just food. It's not the end of the world. It's not like the old days where it would have, what do you mean you don't want to go? I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm fine. I'm okay. Whatever it is, you know, as long as it's not a candy store or, you know, whatever, uh, I'm good. I'm totally good. And then we love and tolerance of others is our code. And that's so foreign to my nature. 
I wake up in the morning when I'm in the food and everybody is either going to be part of my solution, give me money, cash checks, give me food, or they're part of the problem. They're going to point out what I'm eating and I should, shouldn't be eating this and I shouldn't be. They're part of the problem. They've got to go. They've got to go. Given the choice in the food, given the choice between every dream I've ever dreamed and every aspiration I've ever had and eating more food, I'll choose eating more food. That may not make sense to you, but it's exactly how I lived my life. I lived my life wanting A and doing B. All I ever wanted to be was thin, but all I wanted to do was eat. And every single day of my life, I got further and further and further away from my dreams and away from my goals and away from God's will because I couldn't put down the food, because I couldn't bear the pain of not eating, because I had no alternative to it. I had no alternative. Now I do. I have a way of life which will absolutely match calamity with serenity. It will match calamity with serenity because God is powerful and God is more powerful than any force I've ever had. Everything that the disease destroys, he can rebuild. It just takes a little while. It takes a little time. He will rebuild my life. And today, I don't have, you know, I'm not right where I want to be. I'm, you know, certain areas here, a little uncertain, but he's got my back. He's got my back. It's all good. It's really all okay. When I go to the grocery store, I'm a weirdo. So I, I work alone. I live alone. So I talk to myself a lot. And I, I bore myself to death. But anyway, I go to the grocery store and sometimes I'll put stuff in the, uh, in the grocery cart because I need it. And sometimes I'll put stuff in the grocery cart because I think I want it. And I just ask myself as I'm in the checkout line, God, is there anything in here you really don't want me to have? And if I can't think of anything in there that he doesn't want me to have, I know that the money to pay for it will be provided. See, I don't get a paycheck like an employee does. I work for me. So my paychecks are sporadic. So like I can make like X amount this week and then nothing and then X amount that week and then nothing. And that just I've learned to live that way because I own my own business. So, and we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. I'm at the bottom of 84. So when you hear, if you go on a vision for you, and you hear this thing where I'm Harlan G., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona, what does recovered mean? Match the bottom of 84 and the top of 85 up to where you're at, and that'll tell you if you're recovered or not. It says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If we're tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically, and we will see that our new attitude toward liquor <clears throat> excuse me, has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And if I'm going to keep in fit condition, I'm going to have to work at it every day, right? 
the NBA Finals are going on right now. You got the Warriors from Golden State and the Cavaliers from Cleveland. Those guys are athletes. Do you think they just kind of work out once a month? What are you nuts? They these guys work out every single day. There is a hill. the The terrain of Illinois is like this floor. That that could be Illinois, but there's this big hill in Schaumburg, Illinois. And it's not really a hill. What it really is is covered up garbage is what it really is. It's covered up garbage. And on Sunday mornings, Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings, doesn't matter what day of the week it was, you could see Walter Payton running that hill up and back and up and back. Didn't matter whether it was 100 above or 100 below. He was running up that hill, up and back and up and back. You think he just did that on Sundays at the games? Uh-uh. He worked and worked and worked and worked. They said Michael Jordan was one of the hardest working basketball players ever. He worked at his craft every single day, and I'm going to have to work at my craft. I'm going to have to work at recovery every day, and I learn new things if I'm open to it. If I'm closed-minded and think I know everything, and I can get pompous and full of myself too, and I can get very, very ego-driven where I know everything. No, I don't. And if I'm open to it, you can be my greatest teacher. You can help save my life. I may not even know you. It may just be an offhanded comment that you make in an elevator. It may be an offhanded comment that you make whatever, and all of a sudden a light bulb will go off. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and that'll change the direction of my life. Little seconds, little comments. But if I'm eating cake, I'm not open to it. If I'm eating candy, I'm just closed off. You can't even know how the food is killing you and closing you off until you put it down. You cannot imagine how closed we are to life while we're eating. We must put the food down. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. This is not a program for people who need it. It's not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who do it. And rest on our laurels. And that's what happens to people in relapse. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. How is alcohol a subtle foe? It's a subtle foe because jealousy, anger, fear are going to crop up. Happiness, success, accomplishment are going to crop up. Do we, do we eat just over bad emotions? No, we eat over any emotion. I have eaten lots and lots of food to celebrate good, good fortune. You know, even in the food, I had better times than other times. And sometimes I would eat lots of food because I was, you know, I was happy. What's the worst kind of luck for a gambler? Good luck because it just fuels the fire. <laughs> it just fuels the fire. Okay. We are not cured of alcoholism. Burn that into the inside of your eye and your brain. We are not cured of alcoholism. We, what we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day, not some days, every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. I say that prayer to myself. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. I say that to myself maybe 900 to 1,000 times a day. Because you people are pissing me off. (laughs) 
you drive too damn slow and you you you, you make right turns and you, you don't go on green or on red and you make left turns at the wrong time you guys are just pissing me off you know okay much has already oh wait sorry we can exercise our will these are thoughts which must go with us constantly i'm sorry these are thought which, thoughts which must go with us constantly we can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish it is the proper use of the will it's okay to Pray, it's okay to do God's will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from Him, capitalized, who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, not suggestions, directions. Remember we said in the doctor's opinion that there are going to be the 72 times when the word must is going to appear. There's going to be directions. These are not suggestions. We become so politically correct and so egalitarian in OA that we're dying. We're dying. We have to follow directions. I have to follow directions. We have begun to sense the flow of his spirit capitalized into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. We must go further, and that means more action. Bottom of 85. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. I wake up in the morning. I do my St. Francis prayer. That was Bill's favorite prayer. That's why I do it. He's my hero, and he liked the St. Francis prayer. And I was in Calgary, um, Alberta, Canada at the St. Francis Retreat Center. And there's a whole bunch of stuff out there on St. Francis of Assisi. And it was beautiful. And it's a beautiful retreat center. You overlook the Canadian Rockies and Banff National Park. And it is just breathtaking. And they had this gold prayer behind a glass thing. And it was the St. Francis prayer in gold etched and it's got silver lettering on the gold. And it's so beautiful. Oh, my God. And it's the prayer of St. Francis. I was so honored to be there. It's just so beautiful. Oh, my God. It's just gorgeous. Anyway, we be, suggest we shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than us, than we, sorry, are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, now why is the night time before the daytime? Because they're assuming that you haven't been misguided by someone and that you've been doing step 10 all day long. So the night time is first. And it says when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Notice that the word constructively is in there because a hammer to your head is not one of the tools of recovery. We constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Do you see the reiteration of the steps? Okay, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Step four, do we owe an apology? Step nine, step ten, have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Step five, were we kind and loving toward all? Step ten, what could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? 
very, very important that I pack into the stream of life. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. I cannot be of maximum service to anyone while I'm selfishly thinking about me. I have to think of other people and not quid pro quo, not I'll do this and you do that. It has to be healthy. It has to be a healthy giving. You can be just as sick when you're giving as when you're not if you're giving with an expectation of return, control, of somehow adjusting someone's behavior. So if you're alanonic in this and you're just giving to somebody to try to get them to do something or stop doing something, that's not giving, that's manipulation. That's manipulation. So let's check our ego at the door. What is my purpose for this? What is my real agenda? What is my real agenda here? Am I giving with something in the back of my mind that will happen? Or am I giving because I just want to give? And once I give, it's gone. It's theirs. No quid pro quo. You do this and I'll do that. Quid pro quo will lead me right back into the chocolate turtles. Because there's no way another human being is going to give me what I think I deserve. But God gives me everything I need and everything I could ever, ever need. Because he knows better than I do. But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. On awakening! Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. Let us, we consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. And in the St. Francis prayer, there are a lot of instructions as to letting him direct my thinking. It's better to comfort than be comforted. It's better to you know, be that light in the darkness I am not thinking of me. When I wake up and I do Saint, and I really listen to St. Francis's prayer, I am not self-centered. I'm God-centered. Because the, every line of that prayer is going to direct me to his will, not my will, his will. Okay. Especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. For after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. That's an instruction, not an editorial relax. If I'm doing God's will, my life goes downstream. When I'm doing my will, my life goes upstream. I'm fighting the current. I'm exhausted. I am absolutely freaking exhausted by noon. I got to go take a nap. I've been running the world. I've been telling this person what to think. I've been telling this person how to drive. I've been telling this person what they should do here, what they should do there. Oh my God, it's exhausting. The food, the, the illness of compulsive overeating is the most exhausting life imaginable. There is no peace in life. You wake up, you're exhausted. You go through your day. You're just schlepping along. It's, it's exhausting. It's like carrying around 
a million pounds of concrete on your back. My Lord, it's uplifting to live in God's world. It really is uplifting. It truly is. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find our thinking that our thinking will as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration, we come to rely on it. We usually conclude this period, the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be. So that is another indication that I am working steps all day, every day. I'm constantly asking God, what step should I use now? And the two most underutilized steps in my life are two and ten. Where I see people struggling in four, they're struggling with two. Where they struggle with nine, they struggle with two. Because if I really have an effective higher power in my life, I will fare forth, stop thinking, stop ruminating, stop philosophizing, and for God's sake, stop catastrophizing about everything and move forward with a two you can do anything one and two it doesn't usually get far away from one and two and if you are a sponsor and you have a sponsee and they're struggling in a step don't go to that step go back go back go back go back And if you go back far enough, you're going to hit one and or two. And when you hit one or two, you're going to find the root of the problem. Lack of faith, that was our dilemma. Lack of faith, that was our dilemma. Tattoo that line. Lack of faith, that was our dilemma. In your brain, on your skull, on the inside of your eyelids, on your towels at home, uh... Make your dog wear a t-shirt that says lack of faith, that was our dilemma, whatever, you know. But lack of faith, that was our dilemma. So when you see people that they don't want to do nine, they don't want to do four, they're all, they're catastrophizing, go back and ask them, who is your God? We spend so much time taking pictures of our food. We spend so much time calling in the food and 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 the food. I get it. I get it. But we don't spend enough time asking people, is your God your friend? Is your God your higher power? Is your higher power friendly or is your your higher power someone who you don't trust? Are you bringing that hippopotamus to the dog door and trying to force him out because you're trying to force feed a God into your adult life in recovery that has never worked for you ever? That God has never worked for you ever in your life? And now you're trying to bring that God into your recovery. You may need a new God. I'm not telling you who God is or who he should be, but you just want to think about this. Is my God workable in my program today in 2017? Do I need a new God? It's okay to create a new conception of a higher power. It's okay to, the the God that I had when I first got divorced seven years ago, he's on unemployment he he hits the road. He hit the road. I have a new God, 
and I have new gods every once in a while. But we spend so much time with the food and the food and the food and the food. My God, it, it's crazy. We spend more time talking about food than uh, the food channel. But we have to spend more time asking people, how's your prayer life going? How's your meditation life going? How's your faith How's your service? What have you done today to serve someone else? Very, very important concepts. These are very important concepts. Let's move away from, from, from hocking in chinik, which is a Jewish term for don't bang on my tea kettle, but don't hit me in the head with it. Let's get away from the constant obsession about the food and let's move into the sunlight of the spirit very important. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that. doesn't work. You can see why. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles. What are the principles? They're the steps <clears throat> Excuse me. we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are. Right, make use of what they offer. We, as we go through the day, we pause. God is in the pause. Shh, shh, shh. Quiet yourself down for just a second. It's all good. It's all there. It's all right. It's okay. Pause. Shh, 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 shh. When agitated or doubtful. Doubtful. I have to pause, pray, and proceed. Pause, pray, and proceed. Those are the three P's of step 11. Pause, pray, proceed. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. Does that sound familiar? What's the 10-step prayer? What's the 10-step prayer? How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. And this is thy will be done. It's the same thing. It's repetition. In education, they call that spiraling. And we know that that's spiraling because it's very, very important. When the big book wants to tell us something, it doesn't just tell it to us once. If I had the time, I could go back and every paragraph in step 11 is repeated all through the book. But the bottom line is, is that this is very important stuff. Thy will be done. We are then in much less chance of much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. One of the key sentences in this book is in this page. It works. It really does. Do this program. Test your God. Work these steps. Put down the goddamn food. Do what you know you need to do. Do what you know you need to do. Work this program. See God. Test Him. See where He is lacking. See where He is going to fail you. You will not be able to find failure in Him or her 
or whatever it is you believe or don't believe in. If you are an atheist, you are welcome here. If you are an agnostic, you are welcome here. If you are a believer, you are welcome here. All that is required is the willingness to believe, not the belief, but the willingness to believe that there's indeed a power greater than yourself which you could choose to call anything you want. Anything you want. I choose to call that higher power God. You can choose to call that higher power Emma. You can choose to call that higher power Millie. Millie. You can, whatever it is. You can, whatever it is you want to choose that food, whatever name you want to choose that food, that is okay. That is perfectly okay. We are then in much, we become much more efficient. Oh wait, it works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. But that is, this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step twelve. Now we don't have the time to go through chapter seven. Perhaps one day. We'll run across each other at a retreat. I'm doing one in Oceanside for the San Diego Intergroup in late July. There's flyers for that up here. But one day maybe we'll schedule a retreat where we're just going to talk about some of the chapters I don't have time to talk about in most of the what I do. That would be 2, 3, 4, and 7. Um, but right now we have to work within the parameters that we have. Step 12 is a definite three-part step. I'm sorry I cursed before about the GD food because somebody's going to be listening to that with their kid and I'm going to get a call from somebody irate in Connecticut that said, you were doing so good and my four-year-old is now running around saying the, D, the damn food. <laughs> I know I'm going to get that call. I just know I'm going to get that call and I'm just dreading it. But okay, there's nothing I can do about it now. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps... There are a lot of people out there that don't want to sponsor. This is a 12-step program, not an 11-step program. It's a 12-step program, not a nine-tool program. And Dr. Bob got sober on the 10th of June, and right after that, they went out and they started working with another guy before Bill Dotson, and they didn't get anywhere with him. And on June the 26th, 1935, 16 days after Bob got sober, they were working with Bill Dotson. 16 days after they worked with, after Dr. Bob got sober, they were working with Bill Dotson. Not 16 months, not 16 years, not 16 weeks, 16 days after they worked with, after Bob got sober, they were calling upon Bill Dotson, alcoholics number three. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps that means that you are free of the food, that you are working every step that you work, and you are doing it to the best of your ability all the time, and that you are free of this obsession. Remember that we have four impediments to God that Sam Shoemaker taught the boys. Number one impediment is a resentment that you will not let go of. Number two, a secret that you will not tell. Number three, a vicarious thrill that you will not stop. And number four, a restitution that you will not make. Those are the four impediments to God. And if you are on the other side of these impediments, you have had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, and you are now ready to sponsor.
Now, let's take a look at the second of the three parts. Oy vezmer. Don't get old. If you're young, stay young. Stay young. It says here, we try to carry this message to alcoholics. Not my message. Not your message. I'm, I'm just reading off the page 60, but I'm, just, I'm not in the chapter now. It's a, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message. The one that I'm holding in my hand, the blue book, the one that was written in 1937 and 38, published in April of 39. The title of the book is called Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the message that we have right here. Not my message, not your message, not the message of the National Basketball Association, not the message of anything else but this. This is the only message we have. This is the message. And we are carrying a message whether we want to be carrying a message or not. You are carrying a message of the illness or you are carrying a message of the recovery whether you think so or you are not. My daughter was 19 months old and we were living in Eugene, Oregon at that time and I was in utter relapse. She's going to be 23 this year and I hopefully will be 19 years abstinent this year in December, both in December. And she was 19 months old and she was running around the kitchen on a Sunday morning in her diaper. And it was, a, it was in August, and it was very hot for Eugene. It was 90. And in, in Eugene, when it's 90, you plots because it doesn't normally get that hot in Eugene, Oregon. But this was a hot day, so she was just in her diaper. And her mother was standing there after going to the grocery store and doing a massive shop for groceries and putting things away and my daughter was sitting was standing back to back with my wife about where Millie and you are are there and I was sitting this close to them and talking to both of them my daughter picked up her hand and opened up the refrigerator door and turned her head and said shit Esther there's nothing in here I wonder where she got that from if looks could kill I would have been vaporized and it was the message that I was giving this precious little child. That was the message that I was sending her. Unaware of the fact that I had done that 80,000 times. Shit, Esther, there's nothing in here. So she picked it up from me. I'll go years later. I'm now in good recovery. She's hearing nothing but gold on that CD player of Joe and Charlie and Chuck C and Clancy and all these other guys. And now she walks into the family room in my home in Scottsdale, Arizona, paradise capital of the world, tourist capital of the world. I love Scottsdale. <laughs> anyway, she comes in there and there's the opening episode of a show about a guy and his brother that won the lottery. And in order to, to pay karma back, they were going to go make amends to the people that they had stolen from and done things to and things like that. And they had a list in their pocket of all the people and every episode was an episode about how they would go and make amends to these people. It was the premiere episode. She walked into the family room, she looked at the TV, she looked at me, she looked at the TV, looked at me and said, those guys are just doing eight and nine, right Dad? <laughs> That's the message that she picked up 
from the recovery. So you are carrying a message whether you want to be carrying one or not. And you have to know that any idiot can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. And you just never know, once that is started, once that message is started, where it's going to go. I had a friend who's dead now. His name was Scott. Scott was a handsome guy. He was an actor on Broadway, Jewish guy, but he looked Italian or Spanish. He looked like he was just right out of like Cuba or something. Dark skin with the dark hair, and he, he, he was on Broadway as an actor. And he fell in love with an actress, and he married her, and they decided they were going to come out to Los Angeles to try to get into the movie. She was gorgeous. He was whatever. But the bottom line is they went out to Los Angeles. And he, is in AA. he was in AA for a long time. And it was a Saturday night. And he was on call for AA to answer the phone calls that came into the local AA office. And one guy calls in, and he was obviously drunk. He's in East LA, and he's at a motel, and he would like somebody to talk to. So he and this other guy go out to this motel in East Los Angeles, and they go into this real seedy motel, really, you know, one of those where, you know, they charge like 20 minutes at a time or whatever. And they go into this motel, and the guy is sitting on the bed, and there's a bottle of booze, and he's drunk. And they're talking to him and talking to him, and he falls asleep. They're talking to him in there for like an hour. And he's, they realize he's sleeping. He's just sitting up. So he goes to bed. They leave. They determine he's not a danger to himself. He's not a danger to anybody else. So they leave him alone. Normally, they'll take him to a hospital or a treatment center, but he, he was fine. He was just comatose. Five years later, five years later in San Diego, California, at an Alcathon, they have a massive AA Al-Anon meeting that is marathon, one after the other. I mean, from Friday at 7 all the way through Saturday, through I mean, 3 o'clock in the morning there's meetings. And he was the 11 a.m. to, to 11.50 a.m. speaker on Saturday. He does his thing, and it's almost noon, and he wants to go have lunch. And this guy walks up to him and says, you're Scott R.? He says, yes, I am. He says, you saved my life. And Scott says to him, I don't believe I know you. The guy says to him, do you remember about five years ago you went out to that motel and you talked to that guy on the bed? Well, he died about three months after you were there. But I was hiding under the bed. And I heard every word you said. And I haven't had a drink since. You never know where you're going to see this message carried. Any idiot can count the seeds in an apple. But only God can count the apples in a seed. You do not know who's going to tell what to who, who's going to affect who. You just don't know. And when you throw that pebble into the pond, that ripple will just go into infinity. You do not know. And you have a situation 
where there are broken people, people who have been through the ringer, people who may have come into OA 15, 20 years before, and they have no idea what those people were even talking about, and they left, and they saw a bunch of women sitting around that were 30 years older than them talking about God, and they couldn't get out the door fast enough, and they've tried the pills, and they've had the urine of pregnant women shot up their rear end, and they've had their teeth wired together, and they've been to therapy, and they've been to the treatment centers, and they've had bariatric surgery, and they've done everything that they could do to stand in the way of an illness that was bigger than them, and they have thrown themselves together on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday morning, and they are coming to a meeting as a last-ditch effort not to die in the food, and they see you. You may be the only copy of the big book that they will ever read. You are the front line between death and them. You can do something to the world you're a person. To that person you can be the world because you can light them up. You can give them something that the psychiatrist and the bariatric surgeon and the Weight Watcher lecturer and the guy that wired their teeth together and the guy that cut into them on the, on the operating table could not give them. You can give them hope. You can give them a path to where you stand now and where they are, there is a path. You can light the way for that person. Dr. Bob, at the end of his life, bequeathed us with everything we will ever need. When in Cleveland, Ohio, months before his death, he said, let's keep it simple. He said, let's not louse this up with things that are only of importance to the Freudian psychologist. Let's keep it simple. And at the very last, this boils down to love and service. We all know what love is and we all know what service is. We never look as good as when we are bending down to help another man stand on the rung of the ladder that you now occupy. Dr. Bob bequeathed us with a call to service. Love and service. You don't know how to sponsor you don't know what you're doing, the big book will do the work for you. Stick out your hand and say, Hi, I'm Harlan. I don't believe we've met. Can I get you a big book? That's what we're going to be studying tonight. Or, Hi, I'm Harlan. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Can you do that? I think you can. You don't need a degree from Yale or Dartmouth or Harvard or Northwestern. You don't need a degree from, from Stanford to be kind and loving and considerate because these people are scared to death. They're coming in here, they know no one, they know nothing, and they have been beaten and bludgeoned and battered by an illness that they did not understand, and they cannot, for the life of them, eat like their sister. They cannot, for the life of them, eat like their husband. On more than one occasion, I have attended meetings with women that had fat lips and black eyes because their boyfriends or husbands beat the daylights out of them physically for gaining weight. 
On more than one occasion, I have attended meetings with men whose, whose wives or girlfriends have shut them down because they have gained weight. They, they are absolutely shut out from any physical affection, any emotional affection, because they have gained weight. This is a vicious illness. And this illness does not care who it strikes. And it does not care what it takes from you. It will take from you every shred of dignity. It will take from you every shred of humanity and leave you with nothing and not care. This disease is mind over matter. It doesn't mind killing you and you don't matter. You have got to know that as a sponsor, as a person who has had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, you are the front line. You are the front line between God and the M&Ms with peanuts. It's only non-Jewish people that eat those other M&Ms. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. But the bottom line is, you have got to know in your mind that this is the greatest work imaginable. And something happened over the years. I hated me for a long time. I like me now. I'm okay. You know how I got to like me? I got to like me by doing self-esteemable actions. And I do self-esteemable actions, not so much in my business life, but in here. I like me. I'm an okay guy. I'm a good guy. I may not be the sexiest guy. I may not be the richest guy. I may not be whatever. But I'm a good guy. I'm an okay person. And you know what? That comes from years and years and years and years of spending Sunday evenings in airports, coming home from God knows where, coming home from God knows where, and staying with people at the coffee plantation in Scottsdale, Arizona, people that I tried to help. Some of them are still around. Most of them are not. But in the aftermath of trying to help them, I got closer to God. Now, there's another reason that you need to, to do this work. You owe. You owe. Because people that you didn't know carved a path through the jungle with a spoon. And many of them choked to death on their own vomit so you could be here today. Many of them, and they learned as much from the failures as they did from the successes. You owe Bill Wilson. You owe Dr. Bob. You owe Ernie Galbraith and Bill Dotson and Jimmy Burwell, the atheist who power drove this idea of God as we understand God into our program because he was a militant atheist, a constant source of Bill Wilson's Anger. Jimmy Burwell and Bill Wilson were like fire and ice, my God. And if they could have, they would have shot one another. But the bottom line is, and Clarence Snyder and Clancy Immislin and Chuck Chamberlain and, and, and Fitz Mayo and Archie Throwbridge and all these other pioneers, you owe. You can't just sit here and, and, and just listen and go home. You owe. And in the 1950s, there was an alcoholic named Jim Willis. And Jim Willis was a gambler. And he was also an alcoholic. 
And he, he knew that gamblers that were not alcoholics needed a place to go for identification. And he started an organization in Oxnard, California called Gamblers Anonymous. And in the late 1950s, five members of Gamblers Anonymous went on a show called the Paul Coates Show. And the Paul Coates Show was a syndicated show in areas of California, one of those being Los Angeles. And in November of 1959, there was a woman, not as special as Millie, but she was close. (laughs) And she was watching the Paul Coates show late at night. She had put her babies to sleep. I'll see you in Oceanside, baby. I'll be right back. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. She was watching the show, and her husband Marvin had a friend who was a gambler, and she felt that Gamblers Anonymous could help a person like her husband's friend. So they made a decision to bring him to a meeting of Gamblers Anonymous. And they took him to a meeting of Gamblers Anonymous in November of 1959. And Roseanne S., sat in the back of the room with her coat covering up her heavy body. And the more she heard these gamblers talking, the more she identified with their lying and their cheating and their whatever as it related to their food. And she came up to Jim Willis, who just happened to be in that meeting. This is founder to founder. And she said to Jim Willis that night, Jim, do you think a program like yours could help somebody like me with their food? And he turned to her and said, you know, Roseanne, I don't see why not. And on January the 19th, 1960, in West Los Angeles, was the very first meeting of a brand new organization called Overeaters Anonymous. And for a few months, few years, they had meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. And there were 16 meetings of Overeaters Anonymous that were, that were live and going on. And in a place called Luling, Texas, a place called Luling, Texas, there was a guy that lived there. I can see him now. I can, I can just hear his Texas drawl. His name was A.G. Ainsworth. And A.G. Ainsworth was a compulsive overeater attending a silent retreat with a church group in Luling, Texas, German community. And he was driving back from the retreat with his friend Robert. And Robert and him were driving and they stopped off at a bakery to get donuts and cake and coffee. A.G. never ate his. But he wanted to get relief from his, from his eating problem. And he said to Robert in such a way so as to make it almost seem like he was joking, but he wasn't. He said, Robert, do you think a program like yours, Alcoholics Anonymous, could help a person like me with their food? And Robert heard the pain in A.G.'s voice, and he said, you know, A.G., I don't see why not. And Gluttons Anonymous was born in Luling, Texas. And there were five active groups. There was a woman there named Norma B. 
And Norma B. and A.G. Ainsworth founded Gluttons Anonymous with five groups, and there were 16 groups, 16 meetings of Overeaters Anonymous in Los Angeles, and A.G. placed a call to the AA office in New York to see if there weren't people using the big book of AA and the steps for food, and they assured him that there was, that a woman in Los Angeles had applied for permission to use the steps and traditions for Overeaters Anonymous. And on a Sunday afternoon, they called Roseanne S. from Luling, Texas, and it was like Stanley finding Livingston. They sent representatives of the five groups of Gluttons Anonymous to AG's private plane, and they all flew into Los Angeles, and AG became the first male in OA because the charter of OA originally didn't let men in. It was just strictly for women. Um, Millie, we need to get you a chair. Uh, Okay. Okay. AG became the chairman of the first, uh, the president and the first chairman of the board of the service board of Overeaters Anonymous. And a guy by the name of Sandy B got us our tax exemption and registered us with the government as a nonprofit. And Sandy B did a lot of all the legal work and got everything going. And in a vote of 16 to 5, 5 groups wanted Gluttons Anonymous, 16 groups wanted Overeaters Anonymous. We became Overeaters Anonymous, and the rest is history. And I suggest you do read Beyond Our Wildest Dreams by Roseanne S. But the bottom line is, this is what you come from. This is where you cut your teeth. So whether you're aware of it or not, there were people that died in their vomit, in their food, in their liquor, in their drugs, so that you could have what you have today. You owe. This is not a free ride. This is not a free boat. You've got to pay your debt. And the way to pay the debt is to pass it to the next person. We have a lot of work to do. You know, we've been talking about step 12. And uh, we talk about attracting new people into the rooms. And that's good work. We should do that. We have people sitting right in the rooms that are dying of their untreated addiction. And we are hugging them to death. We are hugging these people to death. We have, another, we have other issues, too. We lack diversity. We lack diversity. I go to these conventions. I go to these meetings. I go to these retreats. Every person here is white. I don't think. I mean, the only people that are affected by this are whites. I mean, come on. We had the World Convention in Boston, Mass., where there's a huge population of minority people. There were very few, very, very few. We have not done a job of attracting people of color into these rooms. We will be stronger. We will be better when we are more different. We have not done a good job of attracting Native Americans into these rooms. There is such suffering on the reservations of the amputations and the diabetes, and we have done nothing. We have done little to attract them into the rooms. The Hispanic population, very underrepresented. Again, you look around and every face you see is white. Come on, we've got to be doing a better job. 
We've got to up our game. We've got to find that denominator. We've got to find that way of tapping into the minority communities because we will be stronger when we are different. We will be stronger when we have various points of view in the room. And we've got to up our game on this issue. This is an issue that is not not to be ignored and not to be swept under the rug anymore. This is not funny anymore. And we've got to see that it is an unbroken chain between those people that you can only read about because they're not here and where you sit today. We have easier access to recovery than we've ever had in our lives. Bill Wilson and Fitz Mayo didn't have a phone meeting, a vision for you, and an inner group, and they didn't have a convention, and they didn't have uh, uh, online meetings, and they didn't have all this other stuff that we take for granted if we're not careful. We've got to do a better job of sponsoring, but sponsoring the message that's in the book. And lastly, the last part of it is, and, and to practice these principles, what are the principles? The principles are the steps in all of our affairs. Now, before we go to the final benediction, let's go to the 12-step promises on page 100. The 12-step promises on page 100. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances those are the 12-step promises, and they're beautiful promises, beautiful promises. Let's go to the final benediction, page 164, and then I'll turn you loose. Our book is meant to, oh, before I do the final benediction, I just want to tell you once again how honored I am and how privileged I am to be with Millie today. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you how honored and privileged I am to have been uh, the facilitator of the big book study here at the Region 2 Convention in June of 2017. Yesterday was the 10th of June, which is Founders Day, and I was very honored to have been here on Founders Day. And I just want to tell you what an honor and what a delight it has been to be back here in Southern California which is like my home away from home. I come here a lot, and, and, and I have wonderful friends and wonderful people here that I just love seeing, and it's just been wonderful this weekend to have been here. And it was also fantastic just to get out of the damn heat for a while. <laughs> it's been very hot in Scottsdale. June is our hottest month, and any time I can get a, away from uh, Arizona in June, I'll take it. Our book is meant to be suggestive only, page 164. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. 
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Steps 1, 2, and 3. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Sorry, 8 and 9. Give freely of what you find and join us. 10, 11, and 12. We, will sh- we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I again want to remind you, I don't take any, we have about 20 minutes, I don't take any food questions, I don't take any questions about how you're going to sober up somebody else, and for God's sakes, no math questions. (laughs) For God's sakes, no math questions. Oh, yes, that would help, yes. What's the square root of 800? All right, yes. Sure, I'll do it the way I do it. Here's my 10-step call. Uh, who wants? To, do you want me to be the sponsor or the sponsee? You tell me. Sponsee. You want me to be the sponsee. Julie, I've got a problem. Uh, I'm really mad at Len. Uh, I want to go to a particular restaurant and for lunch, and he won't go there. So let me get my big book out so I do Okay. Okay, so for the 10-step, it says, okay, so, so was that your resentment? Yes. He wants to go to a different restaurant, yes. So, where's the selfishness in that? The selfishness is he's not sticking to my script. <laughs> so, you, you really want him to do it your way? Yes, I want him to do what I want. So, where's the dishonesty? The dishonesty is he has the right to sometimes inject his opinion, too. And sometimes, even though the last 81 times we've gone where I wanted to go, every once in a while we need to go where he wants to go. It's only fair. The fear is if I don't get my way, that means he doesn't like me very much, and that scares me. Okay. So um, now you need to ask God at once to remove these defects. God, please remove my defects of character so I can be of maximum service to you and the people about me. Okay. Okay, so um, you've discussed them with me immediately. Do you need to make amends to anyone? Yes, I'm going to apologize to Len for being a jerk about where he wanted to go for lunch. Okay. Millie, how's it going? Um, better. Just wanted to see how your knee was. Just wanted to see how everything was. Great. Just wanted to check in. I'll see you in Oceanside soon. I love you. Bye. Click. And that's the 10th step. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's step 10. Okay, a couple more. Yes. Okay. That, um, you know, your part was being a little kid and horrible things happened and how you come yes. into some of this. Okay, the question is how can I come to peace with my childhood trauma, with my childhood situations? And if I know anything about OA and I'm in a room with people right now, I'm in a room with women who have been raped, I have in a room with women who have been molested, I'm in a room with people, men and women, who have had horrific things happen in their past. And I too am going through a process right now where I am mourning 
my teen years and my years in my 20s and half my 30s when I missed out on a lot of life. I went on my first date when I was 35 years old. So I missed out on a lot of that stuff. And I get sometimes uh, angry at God because had I been addicted to anything else, I would have had that in my life. If I was addicted to alcohol or drugs or I was addicted to that, I would have had a sex life. I would have had a dating life. But I was addicted to food, which is a very effective woman repellent. Um, so the bottom line is I never got to do those things, so I am mourning those decades of my past. But many people who have had rapes and molestations and abandonment issues and abuse issues, physical abuse issues, have exactly the same kind of situation where the past is kind of haunting them. I have to do the same kind of fourth-step work on that that I would do anything else, ten-step work on that, and I have to make amends to myself by living in the here and now. But the most important thing I can do, and I hate to keep reiterating this, is remember step two, that there is a God, and that God is here, and that I'm living in the here and now. I've carried this around for a long time. It's time to let it go, and I really don't want to. There is a payoff to any resentment. There is a payoff to rehearsing that injustice, and the payoff is I do not have to take responsibility for my own life. And as long as I can hang on to these things, as long as I can hang on to, and I'm going to my high school reunion back home in Chicago in July, um, as long as, in August rather, sorry, as long as I can hang on to all the ones that wouldn't go out with me, I didn't ask them, I couldn't even talk to them, but as long as I can hang on to these hurts, these resentments, I will never be free. I have to trust God enough to take the luggage out of the rack and carry it for me. I can't hold on to this anymore. It's killing me. How, am I going to let them kill me now? How many times am I going to let them hurt me? How many times am I going to let them rape me? How many times am I going to let them abandon me or beat me or molest me? How many times am I going to allow that to happen? It's already happened once. Then it happened about 10,000 other times as I rehearsed it in my mind. How much of my life do I want to spend chasing something that will never be made right in this world? I've got to give it to God. The payoff to those resentments, the payoff to those hurts is that I no longer have to take responsibility for my own life. And it is a hurt. Use it to help the next person. The salve, the balm that will heal that is to help the next person. Help the, that it, it, Bill found that when all other measures failed, work with an alcoholic would save the day. This is going to be the same thing. And if you need to talk to me privately, I will be very happy to talk to you privately about that. I'll give my contact information before we break up for the day. Yes? The four impediments to God, as Sam Shoemaker taught the boys in the Oxford group. Number one, a resentment that you will not let go of. Number two, a secret that you will not tell. Number three, a restitution that you will not make. And number four, or excuse me, number three, a vicarious thrill that you will not stop. And number four, a a restitution that you will not make. The resentment is step four. The secret is step five. The vicarious thrill is six and seven. And the restitution is eight and nine. And that's where the blood and guts of our program comes from, is from the Oxford group movement. The Ox- we think we have, you know, hoity-toity steps and we're so wonderful. Everything we're doing comes from somewhere else. 
Silkworth one, you know, the Oxford group two through 12, you know, it's all, it was all there before. It was all there before. We just, Bill Wilson said many times, we invented nothing. We just put ancient truths together. That's all we did. Let me see if we have time on the clock for one more. I, I can see you guys are getting a little edgy anyway. You're ready to go. Okay, we've got time for one more. No math questions. Okay. Or, well, I'll try to get to you if this is short. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would focus right now on the people that are coming into the rooms of OA that have an eating disorder where you're more on solid ground as to how to help them. What you may want to do is give money or time to organizations that are practiced at helping people that we're not practiced at helping. We're practiced at helping the people with eating disorders. We know this disease. We know the recovery. I don't know what it's like to be homeless. I don't know how to help them. I really don't know how to help them. So I would, I, would stick to, I would stick to that. And do the best you can. You know how you can help those people that are homeless? Be kind and considerate and courteous to them. Don't be abusive or dismissive of them because that's what they see all the time. People are, you know, shooting them and people are, you know, yelling at them. Be kind and courteous. And sometimes the kindest thing you can do for them is give them a smile. Give them a smile and a good morning. That's about, that's about what we can do for them. Yes, we'll try to squeeze it in. Thanks for talking about hi, um, Cindy's career. Uh, uh, thanks for talking about step two. And, um, I, I want to hear for the one, two, three um, uh, discussion. But um, when you talked about having a concept of higher power change over your lifetime, um, uh, right now, um, okay, question is, how do you, when you have like an old concept of higher power from like childhood that kind of turned out to be the but it's still kind of half of the time trying to hijack your current concept of higher power so that you could take step two, but then you're, you're still looking over your back to see if the old higher power is going to get you. Like, you've got two of them, basically, and they're fighting, kind of. Um, like, how do you surrender the, the um, one that's been hijacked by the disease and, and let it go? Stop praying to it. And the way to stop praying to it is to, is to really eradicate it from your mind. That God is fired. That God is fired. Let that God haunt somebody else's house, not yours. Stop praying to that God. And the way you're praying to it is to keep thinking about it and keep bringing it up and keep bringing it up. And if we stop rehearsing it, we can stop, we can stop that process. Concentrate on your new God. Like an act-as-if scenario? Act-as-if okay. scenario, yes. Act-as-if scenario. Stop praying to that God. Stop waiting for that God to give you the permission you need to go on with your life because that's what we're really waiting for. We're waiting for that God to give you permission to go and be happy. It's never coming. It's never going to be there. So we stopped praying to that God. I had to stop praying to M&Ms with peanuts. I had to stop praying to the M&Ms with peanuts. I have no idea why people would eat M&Ms that don't have the peanuts in them. I don't. These are obviously not Jewish people. I'll give you my contact information, and then I'm going to let you go to the closing ceremony. My phone number is 480 480- 
There's no board here, is it? No. 480-495-8961. That's 480-495-8961. And my email is harlan, just like my name, H-A-R-L-A-N, 288 at gmail.com. That's harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N, 288, which are numbers, obviously, and gmail.com. And you can call me anytime. Don't worry about what time it is. Don't worry about what day it is. Just call me. Now, I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor. We've got flyers up here for the Vision for You Big Book Convention in September. Take all of them back to your groups. We've got cards with information on Vision for You. We've got flyers on the retreat that I'm going to be doing in Oceanside, California. And the title of this retreat is Honoring Millie. Okay, take them back to your groups, whatever you want to do. Okay, go to the closing.